0: Imagine a siege of a small town, with multiple battering rams trying to break down the walls, under constant fire from missiles and facing the threat of a sally. Imagine defenders, hopelessly besieged, or using everything they can to hold their position, pouring vats filled with burning pitch and grease down on their points, then using stone throwing machines to rain death upon them. This was the siege of Comvenay. The climax of one of the most dramatic and chaotic events in 6th century Gaul. It was called the Gundervald Affair. Involved an eponymous pretender trying to stake his personal claim to a revenging Gaul. Hello there, I'm Lehmann and this is the Early Medieval Podcast. Today's episode will focus on the series of events I have just made reference to above. The Gundervald Affair. Our source for describing it will be Gregory of Tours' Ten Books of Histories, which is often erroneously called the History of the Franks. Gregory, born in 539, was bishop of Tours and is our main source for, t- for the tumultuous times that dominated Gaul during the sixth century. While Gregory describes constant internal strife throughout this period, our focus shall be on the rise and fall of the pretender Gundobad. Ag- Crucial series of events that can give us a peculiar amount of insight into how Gaul operated at this time. Merovingian Gaul during Gundervalservault was divided into three kingdoms Austrasia, Neustria, and Burgundy. Austrasia to, was to the northeast of Gaul, whereas Neustria was to the west. Burgundy, meanwhile, approximately took up the southeast. Previously, another kingdom had existed under Cherubic, centered around Paris. After his death, his three brothers divided up his kingdom between them. Who ruled each kingdom? Well, these had been chaotic times for Merovingian Gaul, so there was only one male adult ruler Neustria and Austrasia were both ruled by children. the II, son of the deceased Kippurich, ruled Neustria; whereas Chuddlebert II, son of the assassinated Sigebert, ruled Austrasia. Guntram, the sole adult but with no surviving sons of his own, ruled Burgundy. There was therefore a dangerous lack of royal Merovingian stock, especially adults in when Gundevald arrived. Having provided some context for a revolt, I will now proceed to discuss Gregory's treatment of Gundevald and the histories. I shall firstly look at the early life of Gundervald. Gregory writes, Gundervald was born in Gaul and educated with great care. He wore his hair long and down his back, as is the custom of the Frankish kings. At some point, his mother presented him to Chilbert I, no, not Chilbert II. Who was king of Austrasia when Gundervald revolted? His mother claimed that his father, I hated him. I, who later became so ruler of Gaul, was the father of Guntram, Kipporic, Sigebert, and Cherubit. Childebert the First had no sons of his own, so he took Gundevald and kept him at his side. When I heard this, he demanded that Gundebald be presented to him and claimed, This is no son of mine. Therefore, Clotar I declared that Gundebald was not his son, but he did not have a right to any land at all in Merovingian Gaul. After Clotar I's death, Gundebald was taken up by Charibert, but was again summoned by Sigebert, who cut off his hair and sent him to Cologne. Despite his mistreatment by Claude Arbathurst and Sigibird, there's good reason to believe that Gundevald was a legitimate royal son. Most of the scholarship agrees on this point. For example, Gothard points towards his royal upbringing and education. Meanwhile, Bacharach highlights his reception by Chiribird and also by Charibert. He writes, The significance of Charibert's reception of Gundervold cannot be too strongly emphasized. By this act, Chalbert clearly demonstrated that he accepted as a fact the claim that Gundervold was of royal blood, that he was King Clotar's son. The same can be said about Clotar's shoulder O'Dobert's reception of him and the fact that he was allowed to grow his hair in royal style. There's also good reason to think that Gregory of was sympathetic to the pretender, but he also thought he was a son of at first. For a start, he never outright announces his claim to Merovingian land. Despite him nearly falling off his shield rail, he was announced as king during Book 7, Chapter 10 of the Histories. Furthermore, Gundavald, during the Siege of Combini, announces that Radegund of Poitiers and Inge Trude of Tours can attest to his legit machine story. As Ian Wood highlights, these women were both members of a Merovingian family. The first Gregory regarded as a saint, the second he regarded highly at the time of Composing Book 7 of the Histories, where most of the account of the is found, even if he changed his mind later. While Gregory never outrightly states his support for Gundervald, Wood points out that he likely wouldn't due to Guntram's treatment of his uh, episcopal appointments. Gregory is very also very careful, according to Wood, about his presentation of Gundervald and his followers. Without exception, Gundervald's claim to be the son of Clotter is presented in direct or indirect speech, as are all denials of his royal descent. Wood argues Gregory deliberately uses vagueness and other literary techniques to subvert his narrative and to show his true beliefs. To summarise, and it seems that like Gunderval was likely a legitimate Merovingian despite his rejection by his supposed father, the I. We now return to Gregory's narrative of Gunderval's life. Stuck in Cologne, Gunderval soon escaped and went to Italy to save Eastern Roman General Narciss. Bacharach suggests he was received here because Narcissus wanted to establish him as governor of the Frankish provinces in Italy, Liguria, Venetia and the Cotian Alps. Installed there, gundevald could help rally the local inhabitants had been settled since 539 against the Lombard invasion. Alternatively, it may have also been intended to exert pressure on Guntram of Burgundy and Sigbert of Austrasia, so that they would aid against the Lombards in Italy. The fear of an imperial-backed pretender may have motivated them to provide assistance to the Eastern Roman Empire. The Empire had a long history of using pretenders. And becoming involved in dynastic disputes they had been the pretext for invasions of Italy Spain and Africa so the Frankish kings would have a genuine concern about how Gunderval could be used regardless of what Narcissus plans were they could not be executed due to his fall from grace and his placement of governor of Italy by long China's. what happened to Gunderval as a result of these events well he married and had children during his stay in Italy. He also grew his hair long, again in Frankish style. Finally, he moved to Constantinople, where he would stay until his invitation back into Italy. What was the context of his return to Gaul? During the siege of Convene, Gundevold himself claimed that he was invited back by an Ostrasian magnate called Guntram Boso. Gundevold... As recorded by Gregory of as said a few years ago, Guntram Borsa came to Constantinople. I questioned him closely about the fate of my brothers, and I was told that our line had almost got, died. Gunderbold then goes on to claim that Borsa said, Come, and you invite by all the leaders of King Childebert, for not one has dared to speak against you. Therefore, this account is to believe believed Guntram was invited. On the behest of a faction of Austrasian magnates, where well, uh, despite Gundevald's claim, it is unclear if he was invited back by Guntram Boso. Later after Gundevald's return to go, Guntram of Burgundy accuses Guntram Boso of inviting the pretender. However, Boso denied it and accused Moralist the leader of Guntrams inviting him back. He then went on to support Guntram's actions against Gundoval. Nevertheless, it is possible that Guntram was simply covering his back. Regardless, whom found Gundoval and resulting precise aims of revolt shall remain a mystery to a degree. Upon his return to Gaul, Gundoval landed in Marseille, where he was received by Bishop Fado and subsequently, he served to join Duke Mummolus at Avignon. Boso now against the Gundervald, arrested Bishop Frido and threw him into prison for introducing a foreign article with the aim of subjecting the Frankish kingdom to imperial control. Epiphianius, also Bishop, was also accused of supporting Gundervald as he was implicated through arriving at Marseille as a similar They were taken before Gundrum and eventually found innocent who came at a cost for Pythianus, who died from his suffering. gundevald by this point, had fled to an island in the Mediterranean to await what had happened. gundevald later returned to Gaul again and stayed with Mumulus in Navignon. Accompanied by the Duke, as well as another Desiderius, Gundervald had something himself to the district of Limoges, where at the tomb of Saint Martin, he was raised up as a king on a shield. Gregory notes as mentioned earlier, as they carried him around for the third time he stumbled and had great difficulty remaining upright, even with the help of those around him. Regardless, he then made the progress through neighbouring cities. At this point it is worth covering who was and devout as a Merovingian king. Even words suggests his allies came from three main sources. Firstly, members of the second's court keeping their options open until he came of age. Secondly, followers of Guntram whose position had been compromised. Finally, military no leaders in the service of Cephalic who had been too far away from his court to ensure their survival after his death. Gundovald nevertheless had a large amount of support throughout Merovingian Gaul. Gregory of on the, from these events notes importance that so suggests Gundervald's death was coming. Misshaping grapes were forming whilst trees were blossoming twice. Rays of light were also shining in the sky and there was an earthquake in Andrews. There were more on the north a column of fire hung on high for two hours. Meanwhile tensions were brewing throughout Gaul due to Gundervald's possession. Magnate Guntram Bolso was sent as an, an envoy to Guntram's court, and the again accused by the former of aiding Gundervald. Bolso declared his innocence yet again. Guntram then declared all should be united to drive out the adventurers whose fathers sat a weavers loom lo- lo- and guarded well An envoy then jokes. No one can have two fathers, unless one is speaking of spiritual matters. The envoys men burst out laughing and left. In anger, Guntram, with jokes made of him, ordered a horse dung to be thrown over the envoys' heads alongside wood chips, straw, mouldy hair, and mud from the town girths. Lunderval's main antagonist was now angry and was raising an army to engage in battle with him. Gundervold at this point then planned to move to Poitiers, but he was afraid because he had heard an army was being raised against him. He also demanded an oath of allegiance to the II from all the cities that belonged to Sigebert, Chudobert's father, and also had sworn an oath of allegiance to himself from all the cities that had belonged to Guntram or Kippelrich. The fact that he demanded an Allegiance to Childe Albert II and Sigabit's former territories reinforces the idea there was a strong contingent of Austrasian magnates behind Gundavald's arrival in Gaul. Gundavald then moved to Anguillem, where he received warfare and gave tribesuit to chief citizens. He then went to Perigu, where he persecuted the bishop for not having received him with due honour. Next, Gundevald marched on Toulouse. He sent messengers to Magnolf, who was bishop of the city, to order him to receive him. However, they claimed no foreigner must dare to violate the Frankish realm and prepared to resist Gundevald. However, on the eve of the battle, the inhabitants saw the size of Gundevald's army and so they opened the gates to him. Some time later, when the Bishop Magnof was sitting at table for Gundervald, he said to him, You maintain that you are the son of King Clotter, but we have no way of telling whether or not this is true. It seems incredible to me that you can carry out what you have planned. Gundervald replied, I am indeed the son of King Clotter, and I am determined to take over my share of the kingdom. And without any more delay i shall march on paris with all speed and i shall establish the seat of my government magnof replied if you succeed in carrying out what you say and then it is indeed true that no prince of the royal line remains alive romulus who was supporting gundavald raised his hands and boxed the bishop Sears saying it's not right for so stupid and a debased man as you to give such an answer to a great king. Desiderius then laid hands on Magnuth, and then both dukes prodded him with spears, punched him and kicked him. Then they bound him with a rope and banished him from his city, before stealing all his possessions and those of the church too. Gundeval continued his revolting procession throughout Gaul, after leaving Toulouse, he was pursued by an army, including by inhabitants of Tours and Portovennes. Gundevold then sent messengers to his support, one of these, the Bishop of Cahors, was captured by Guntrum and beaten and thrown into prison. Gundevold then moved on to Bordeaux, where he tried to take a fingerboard of St. Sergius to aid his cause from the Syrian Euphronius. Murmiles broke the board into pieces, causing the Syrian to weep. Meanwhile, the revolt installed a new bishop of Dax, as Gundavald also nullified Kippurich's decrees. seems at this point, Gundevald was becoming a greater and greater threat to Guntram and the other Merovingian kings. His revolt was covering more and more ground and becoming increasingly dangerous. With his power growing, Gundevald sent two messengers to Guntram demanding that portion of Clotar, the First Kingdom, which is his due. In response, Guntram stretched the messengers on the rack until they admitted that Gunderwald had been asked to accept kingship by Chuddlebert II's leaders. This accusation was coming up yet again. Guntram invited Chuddlebert II to discuss this matter more should had a second not to trust his advisors, for they were supporting Gundervald and also announced that Austrasian king as his heir. Meanwhile, Guntram's army was marching towards Gundevald. The climax of the revolt was about to begin. Gundevald, hearing of Guntram's army approaching, crossed the Garran and made for Convigny in the foothills of the Pyrenees. This is where he would make his stand. Convigny. Or Cumminges, was built on the top of a high hill with no other spots near. At the foot of the hill, according to Gregory, a great spring gushes forwards, enclosed by a strongly of high tower. The company itself was defended by a 674 metre perimeter wall built of stone and improved with ditches. Upon his arrival in company, Gunderville said to the talk. You know that I have been elected with the backing of all those who dwell in the realm, and ordered them to bring food and supplies inside the wall. He also told them that they would hold out for reinforcements. However, then he told the men of Conventy to sally forth and fight. Skontrum's army was rapidly approaching, the citizens of the town out, Gondervoud, shut the doors on them and their bishop, and took all their possessions. Once the siege began, an effort was made to undermine the morale of the defenders. Men climbed up the top of the mat can, only hit high point within and distance. And so Gundavoud, making reference to his nickname Balama, his painting skills, and the cutting of his hair by Frankish kings. Gundavoud then went to part of the rampart so I was close enough to answer back. Despite this, the siege engines brought by Guntram's army were of no real value against company. According to Bacharach, the inability to use light artillery and perhaps even heavier pieces was likely due to the topographical situation at company. Ludgissel, who was in charge of the siege, decided to build new engines to aid the siege effort. These new weapons mainly consisted of battering ramps to knock down holes and walls. As these approached the walls the attackers were bombarded by stones. Backwreck suggests the defenders also likely to use stone from machines. The battle was certainly chaotic. As mentioned earlier, flame and barrels of pitch and fat, as well as boxes filled with stones, were also thrown on Guntram's attacking forces. At this stage it appears that the battle was gone the way of the defenders as Backrack puts it, Gregory makes it clear that the defenders had much the better of the siege, at least during its initial stages. Regardless, Duke Bladas, whose support the without full combat, could not hold, likely due to the taunts, but also due to the fact that the besieging army was building an agar, a great ramp or mound opposite the east wall. Bachrach suggests the likelihood that the city could, would not be relieved and concerning in conjunction with the apparent dedication of besiegers to the task, undoubtedly lowered the morale of Convenius offenders. Ladus, in response to attack and threat, set fire to the church house in Conveney When soldiers came to put out he escaped unnoticed. However, as we shall see, Dadas was not the only one afraid of Guntram's attack and forces. The besiegers sent to messengers to Duke Murmulus, a general of Gunderval, asking him to acknowledge your true overlord. Upon hearing this, the Duke said, I am well aware that we are at the end of our tether, and that we have no more power to resist. For me, there is only one course open. Together with Bishop Sagittarius, Cherulf, and Wado, Murmulus made his way to the cathedral. There, they made an oath to break their alliance with Gundevald and hand him over to his enemies. Guntram's messengers came back again, said their lives would be spared if they followed through with their treacherous plan. Romulus, well, with Bishop Sagittarius Morrow, went off to view Gunderval. They asked him to seek an audience with Guntram's supposed brother, they said that the Burgundian king did not want to lose the support of provide. Gunderval. Gundervald knew he was being tricked and cried out. It was at your invitation that I came to go, and that through you I hope to become king. Romulus replied saying, there's nothing treacherous in what we've said. However, Gundervald was wise and said, I'm not such a fool that I cannot see through your words. Nevertheless, besieged him with no other options available. Gundevald went out of convent to be received by the besiegers. Knowing he was betrayed, Gundevald cried, O oh God and eternal judge, true avenger of the innocent, from whom all justice must proceed, whom no deceit can ever please, and whom can be no treachery, no craft, no maliciousness, it is to you that I, Gundevald, commend my cause. I ask you to avenge me with full speed on those who have betrayed me and my innocence into the hands of these my enemies. As he proceeded out of company, a lone man of Gundrum pushed Gundervald over and thrust a lance at him. However, Gundervald survived the blow. Borso, not Gundrum Borso, also one of Gundrum's men threw his stone at the Pretender. Gundervald was hit in the head and fell down and died. The mob surrounded him and prodded him with spears. They tied his feet together with a rope and dragged him through the whole army encampment. They pulled out his hair and beard and then they left his body unburied in the spot where he met his death. The next night, the leading men of company took into possession and protection all the treasure they could. When day dawned, the gates were flung open and the army allowed in. Overcoming people were put to the sword, meanwhile the whole city and all ch- the churches and every single building were bent to the ground. This concluded the siege of Combenay and marked the end of the Gunderval affair. The traitors did not meet a happy fate. Mumulus and Sagittarius were slain by Guntram's men. The attackers did not keep their promise. It was also rumoured and Sheryl were slain. Meanwhile, Gundervald's legacy could be found through his sons, who lay on the histories on mentioned to Spain and Spain. As these examples show, the ramifications of the Gunderval affair did not finish with a pretender's death. Nevertheless, the fourth combination to Guntram's army marks the end of our story today. For it was here that he saints series of events that characterised the revolt came to an end, the Gunderval affair, without a doubt, was one of the most dramatic and important episodes in the history of Merovingian gore. That's it, this concludes today's episode on Burgundah Audipair. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you want to see the script of the episode as well as the bibliography of sources I used, please visit my blog. Also please feel free to comment if you have any questions. Last of all, I hope to see you soon and goodbye.